Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with my very dear friend, Danny Grant, uh, an analyst at USV, and we're here to talk about education. Danny, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Eric. Eric, I brought you a question. Please. We've known each other for many years, um, and, I know, and like, we know a lot about each other, uh, but something that we've never talked about is in a future world, when slash if you ever have kids, how will you want to educate your kids? It's, that's an amazing question. Okay, how about directed? Yeah, I, I think it'll be much more pull than push, basically, uh, in that they'll, you know, uh, go through some you know, self-discovery to see what they like, what they, you know, gravitate towards, what they're good at, while also having some, like, being exposed to lots of things early on, and then be able to basically do what they want. <laughs> It'll be much more game-like or story-like, or it'll leverage sort of the the advancements we've made in, in games and entertainment. It, it, to borrow a phrase you use, it'll they'll be learning and not even know they're learning necessarily. Like it won't be boring. It'll they'll be pursuing their and doubling down on their natural curiosity, and they'll have a a love of learning. Well, they'll be free learners, Danny, and it'll be glorious. So, what I love about your answer is this is kind of how you learn today, right? Yep. When you wanted to learn about ISAs, what did you do? Uh, read about it, write about it, tweet about it, com- have conversations about it, podcasts about it. Right, right. When you wanted to learn about healthcare, what did you do? Same thing. Right. And then, like, sometimes there are topics that you're so interested in that you actually go an extra mile. Like, um, when you wanted to learn about crypto, you didn't just, like, read about it, tweet about it, host dinners about it. You, like, built something around it. Right. That feels like really amazing. Yes, that my kids will, <laughs> my kids will do, and, and, and your kids will do. Okay, l- l- let me z- zoom out, Danny. You've been thinking about education for maybe a year now, um, starting with you taking, signing up voluntarily for calculus classes. Why don't you give a brief background on what uh, inspired you to spend so much of your day job at USV focused on education? When I joined USV, Albert, um, who's the partner I work uh, most closely with, gave me some advice. He said, go like, explore every topic that seems moderately interesting to you, uh, but kind of just notice when you're off work, or like uh, with the example he gave is when you're reading science fiction, what does your mind kind of come back to? Like, what are the things that, that you really care about because they just occupy space even when you're not trying to think about them? And uh, when I started looking at education, I actually found it really boring because all of the companies that I was looking at were working inside of the current paradigm. They were like games to help kids learn math, um, which is like fine, but it's uh, it doesn't create passion with kids. Like uh, it doesn't describe uh, the world through numbers. Like it's just, it's the same paradigm of like learning is boring. So education wasn't very interesting to me. Um, but outside of work, I was constantly trying to use like all of these products and figure out how to educate myself. Um, like I wanted to learn math and uh, couldn't figure out how to do it except for to like go and sit in a university class. Or um, I wanted to learn uh, neuroscience, but when you Google like how do I learn neuroscience, 
uh, it's like there are a lot of basics and there are a lot of academic papers, but there's nowhere to get you from A to B. And there's no community that you can join to be like, we're all learning this thing together and we all encourage each other and show each other what we're doing. <laughs> Pioneer, right, for learning. Yep. Um, and so, so this was like the side topic I was constantly talking about at work when we're just like, uh, walking around like does anyone know something I can use for this and finally Albert was like this feels like the, the thing <laughs> that, that we keep coming back to maybe you should just look for companies here um, and and so um, so here we are and did you find any or, or what did you so you said you're gonna spend all this time what did you learn it's amazing one of the really interesting uh, experiences I had in all of this was I visited a homeschool in um, Park Slope Eric what do you imagine when you imagine a homeschool a very progressive parent and one kid who's uh, sort of, you know, Liza Thornberry-ish, <laughs> like very, very eclectic and, and um, eccentric and, and very curious and uh, kind of prodigy. Totally, right? Like you imagine a parent literally at home teaching their kid or like, uh, like you imagine this thing that's super one-on-one. So I went and I visited this homeschool and I didn't really know what to expect. Like what does it mean to visit a homeschool? But it was kind of amazing. So it's uh, one classroom. Uh, like 20 kids, the youngest is six, the oldest is 11, they're all in the same room. And every kid, when they come in, uh, the teacher says like, hello, what do you think you're gonna be doing today? And then the kid thinks, and then they say whatever it is that they think would be interesting to spend the day doing. And their answers aren't silly. They're like, uh, I'm gonna build um, a machine, like I'm gonna build a gumball machine, or I'm, I'm gonna build a rocket launcher. Or um, I'm, I'm going to build a map of a fictional territory that I came up with last week. So they just kind of get started. And if they ever get stuck, they grab the class iPad and they look on YouTube how to do the thing that they want to do. They watch a tutorial or two and they just come back to doing the thing. And so what they learn at school is that they can do anything. Like, and that people like applaud them for that. And that feels really interesting. So why hasn't homeschool taken off? Or what's it, why hasn't it become mainstream? And what's it going to take for it to happen, if that's what you think should happen? So this is super interesting. When we survey people and we ask, would you homeschool your kids? Why or why not? What are the reasons? What do you think the top reasons are why someone wouldn't homeschool their kids? Social exclusion, uh, st- stigmatized. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they, parents have to work. Yeah, that, oh, exactly that, right? So uh, basically you want your kids to be socialized. And then secondly, you can't stay home to like manage this thing. And actually, this just feels really optimistic to me, right? Because this is a thing that startups can solve. Because all this says is what we need instead of individual homeschooling at one person's home with the resources of a single like parent unit, we just need uh, communities and networks of homeschools and community schools and parents that support each other. There's um, a company in New York called Cottage Class. And what they do is they allow anyone to uh, open up a homeschool out of their home or out of a different location, if that's better. And other uh, parents will pay them um, like some amount for, the, for their time. And so uh, together, like the neighborhood really pools together and creates these like schools and learning opportunities for their kids, which is amazing. So this is still kind of unattainable, right? Because you still have to pay for it. But you could imagine different models. So the U.S. spends about $9,000 per student per year on public education. And so they afford the same uh, kind of funding to charter schools based on students. So they'll give a charter school about $6,000 per year per student. You could imagine a world in which we make it much, much easier to start a charter school and then anyone out of their home can, can create a school, get funding for it, and then kids don't have to pay, the government pays just they w- like they would for public education. Totally. And so, and are they doing this through K-12? 
Yes. So, you know, it's interesting. When you look at enrollment in private schools, what you see is that they're kind of low in K through eight and then much higher in nine through 12. And I think that's because of the like really strong force college has on all of the decision making in like a child's life. Like parents are literally choosing where to live based on what will get their kids into Stanford. And, and so I've, I haven't seen numbers around this. My guess would be that homeschooling is much more prevalent in younger years, but then in high school years, parents want um, their kids to look uh, quote unquote normal. Let's start with K-12 and then we'll go to college. What do you think are the paradigms or the paradigm, what is the paradigm that is, that is something we should change about how we view K-12 education? Like what is the most harmful uh, paradigm we, we hold about it or, or believe that you think we should change? Well, can you tell me about your experience in school? Like, were you a good student? Did you? Ever- no, 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 I, I, I hate school. I'm, I'm, I'm like, burn this place down. <laughs> I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but like, no, no, school didn't appeal to me. I mean, it was very push. I didn't get to control, you know, what I learned. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, teachers didn't inspire me. I mean, I, and I just hated learning as a result and immersed myself in video games and, you know, and sports trivia. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, what's so funny is what you did learn in your K through 12 is, you know, basically everything that's ever happened in the history of basketball. Yes. <laughs> like everything, things that happened before your time, Eric. And you know, every play and when you watch, you actually don't even have to see it. You could just listen to a basketball game and know it because you know this sport. Yeah. So there's a question of, of, of why that is, right? Like Sal Khan has this great quote. He says, Every kid wonders why they have to learn math. No kid ever wonders why they have to learn basketball. That's a great quote. So, so why do you think that is? Because we uh, just take the joy out of it by, by making it top down, by, by not sharing why, because of the way it's presented, perhaps, and tested. And I, I, You tell me. <laughs> I agree. Um, did you have a basketball team? Were you on a team? Yeah, I was on a team. Yeah. Yeah. And like you and your team, you would talk about basketball, right? Yeah. And together it was exciting because as one person got better, the whole team got better. And like knowing things about basketball was cool in this team, right? And so it's interesting. Like there's something really powerful about being part of a learning community that like gets you to do things that you otherwise might not. And so in a classroom, you're kind of by yourself, right? And, and actually the status is flipped. It's not that it's cool to be on the honors list. It's actually really cool to not be like, there's, there's no shared achievement when, when one kid is succeeding. Yeah. Danny, if we were just starting from scratch, literally starting from scratch, what would we keep about K-12 as we imagine it today? You know, it, it's, like, it's so beautiful. It's a beautiful program. Uh, it, I mean, like, one thing that schools do is like, take part in some sort of education, sure, but it's also government-sponsored daycare. And, and uh, its original like, thought was, uh, this is kind of to create an equalizing force. Everyone kind of learns the same things. And so there are things that are really beautiful about it. And I wonder if we can keep those. So it should be government funded? <laughs> or how do you think about that? Well, let's, let's go back even one more step. Eric, what do you think uh, are the roles of schools? The role of school empower people to be good citizens and individuals and live fulfilled, contributive lives? Yeah. So let's say that there are probably two, right? One is about creating like good citizens. Like, you know, if, if we're going to have democracy, we also have to have education. And, and then the other role is probably around quality of life, right? Like it's, it's uh, trying to give uh, kind of this 
good quality of life to students in the US. And so quality of life, we can probably also kind of split a little bit. We can say part of quality of life is having tools like meditation or nonviolent communication, like tools that can keep you happy. The other is like around income or economics, like giving you the tools that you can uh, earn an income, not have this like um, su suppressing feeling around debt, have a little bit more freedom. And, you know, if we say these are the three roles of schools, right? School's not really doing it that well. If the first role is to create good citizens, we see a lot of interesting, not great factions uh, rising in the U.S. like anti-vaxxing. We're not really succeeding on that. If another role is uh, to like create good quality of life, there's like the rise of depression in the U.S. Less than 50% of Americans are optimistic about their own lives in five years. Uh, so we're not really doing a good job of that at school. And then if a third was uh, like ec around economics, we are training students to do jobs that are disappearing. Because what we're training students to do is we're training them to do jobs where all the instructions are ahead of them instead of things that are very nebulous. And when work starts getting automated, the first jobs to be automated are the ones where you know all the instructions. And so we're not really setting up uh, students for a good economic future either. So I think we start from those three goals, right? We say we want good citizens and we want people who uh, like have the tools to be happy and have the tools to make an income. And we'll get to requests for startups later, but I get a sense, I don't know if you push back on this, that most of them are, how do we create parallel institutions outside the existing, institutions and products outside the existing system because the existing system has too much inertia around it and won't change and doesn't want to change. Is that fairly accurate? It's so, it's so interesting. So uh, when I started looking at education, I thought, you know, it just feels like we're at um, some sort of turning point, right? Everyone I talked to is talking about how this is broken like people are starting to talk about homeschooling. Uh, just like, it felt like we were at this turning point, like young parents today kind of grew up with the internet and then they send their kids to school today and they're kind of shocked that uh, school looks exactly the same. And so I started looking at the data. The data says, no, we're at no turning point. Like, like education it looks exactly the same today as it did 20 years ago. So like test scores are just flat. Uh, satisfaction with education is just flat. Even earning potential by like the the level of uh, education that you get uh, is flat. Uh, employment rate is flat. Teacher salaries are flat. Like everything is flat. Nothing is moving. And so one way to look at this, it's kind of working. Like it's kind of working good enough. There's, and actually this is a problem that startups run into is they want to design a better system, but there's actually no huge pain point that's getting people to churn off of schools and then uh, go to an alternative. When I talk to people who run alternative schooling, they say something very interesting, which is a lot of their students aren't there because they want a better education. They're there because they, they're in the margins. They don't fit the current system. Like they have some sort of learning or behavioral challenges or uh, their school isn't safe. You know, 24% uh, of uh, homeschoolers say that they homeschool because they are physically unsafe at school. And so all of these alternatives are going to work first for people in the margins. You, you wrote about in your deck that the role of school will change from a place where students are taught a core, you know, central curriculum to a safe space they can go all day for free where they're encouraged to pursue their curiosity and interests. Do you worry about, you know, some people have this pushback that it's important that people have some knowledge in common, that we won't have a core set of knowledge that we all share? One of the things that like boggles my mind we have uh, kind of a core set of things we as a society have decided should be common knowledge. So we have statewide curriculum and no, and like schools, instead of saying, okay, so that's the baseline, but we can do more. They're saying, so that's exactly what we're going to hit every year. And so it feels like there's a mindset shift uh, that needs to happen more than a curriculum shift. 
And, and uh, how would you summarize that mindset shift? So uh, one of the core things that students learn in school is that learning is boring. And that, that feels like a big shift. But, you know, like there are teachers who are like helping kids do real things that aren't boring, that feel important, and they feel like they're part of something, help them love like attaining knowledge, right? So um, there is uh, a teacher, uh, Cesar Harada in Hong Kong. He and his kids, uh, who are so young, like put together prototypes for robots that sense like plastic and different levels of chemicals in the oceans. And they put, so they are just creating these prototypes, right, as a class, but then they publish those prototypes and other people who are researchers and scientists go and build the thing and see if it works. These kids are learning a ton, right? But they're not sitting and getting all the facts. Or uh, Jonah Peretti, before he started BuzzFeed, was a computer science teacher. And like he taught sixth graders and they weren't learning for loops. Uh, they were like building virtual worlds together. Each student would like create a part or uh, they would be kind of creating like posters to protest things in their town and sending it to the mayor. And teachers are doing this. Just how do we get this to everyone, you know? And I think we need systems and we need communities for that. Systems and communities. So here's one of the really interesting things in education. If you're a VC and uh, you're looking at any category, right? So you're looking, like, you're trying to figure out what's next. And so they're kind of like places to look, right? So, so when people talk about machine learning or crypto, they're kind of looking at where talent is going because in those spaces, talent is ahead, right? Or if a VC is looking at gaming, they're looking at Korea because in gaming, Korea is ahead. And so the question is, well, who's ahead in education? And there's a good argument to make that uh, the real innovators in education, like who we should be watching, are religions. So like there were madrasas, like free public education before there were free public schools, you know? There was a free printed Bible before there was a free printed, or not free, there was a printed Bible before there was a printed encyclopedia. Um, the first universities uh, were converted from mosques. Like, religions are kind of the innovators here. And so when we look at what sort of future systems might we have, it's kind of interesting to see, well, what are religions doing? And, and what are they doing? Like, what can we learn and adopt and take from what they do well? I was at a, a synagogue last week watching their, um, them do like this big online class. And it was so, so interesting. So they had a few hundred people actually at the synagogue taking class, but then they had several hundreds more just like zooming into the class uh, online. And some people were zooming in just by themselves. And some people were in groups in their cities, zooming in together um, and anyone could raise their hand. And so they, they're doing these big online classes, like, um, like a thousand people uh, that are interactive um, in their community. And so it's interesting. It's like religions are kind of ahead in education and we have these like big online churches before we have big online universities. Totally. So do you want more religions <laughs> or what is, when you say it's systems and community, like what does it look like practically? I think the important thing here is people innovate when they have a need. So religions thrive off of the spreading of knowledge. Uh, they need to educate in order to exist. And so they have a huge need to do so. So they're constantly innovating. And so it's like a great place to look and see, well, how do people learn? What, what is the future of learning? Do you think that in some way, I mean, religions are sort of market-based in that people can sort of leave at any time, or it's not state-based, it's not mandatory, or as much as government-sponsored education is. From you know, we're, ta we're talking about like startups, but do you think from a macro perspective, education should be more market-based, like there should be more competition within schools? I would love to see a world in which there's competition, like who gets to educate your kids, like, like you know, that, that's kind of amazing. One of the things that, like, it feels like we should talk about is there's already a ton of work, like for the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years happening and bringing education online. 
But like in this conversation, we've talked about kind of the importance of communities in education. But if we look at you know traditional education, like schools and universities, everything is community based. You're like you're with other people. It's not alone. Like universities, especially like the university you go to becomes part of your identity. Um, like you are part of this community. But then when you look at kind of new education, like, you know, Khan Academy, like education on the Internet, it's all isolated or most of it is isolated. I, th I think this just goes in waves, right? Like we start with like isolated education on the Internet and then it goes to communities and networks enabled by the Internet. Yeah. Has, you, has anyone been able to combine the two in really effective ways? There are people doing really amazing things. One of the things that feels kind of an important description of, of why this is, you know, the Carlota Perez framework. Yeah, but please explain it to the listeners. Right, right. So Carlota Perez uh, has this framework to describe like cycles of innovation. And basically, it's the first 25 years is just about access, it's the installation phase. And then that's followed by t about 25 years of uh, a deployment phase where like the, the technology is like really in its own. And so it feels like the reason why we're just seeing kind of a few uh, like models of community online learning communities, uh, especially for K through 12 is because we're kind of like in between the installation and deployment phase maybe of the web, right? So we're about 25 years into the web, right? Like from like 94, 95. And the last 25 years have, have been a lot about access, especially for education. Like in the last 25 years of online education, we've taken education and we've put it on the web. And so then if this framework is right, then the next 25 years will be about actually using the web to change what we fundamentally mean by education. Wow. Yeah, and, and going back to the, the mindsets, what we mean, I mean, you mentioned, you know, first and foremost, education is fun, but then also you, uh, you might say that the mindsets we need to change are there are better ways or more, and certainly more ways of, of learning than or receiving knowledge and expressing knowledge than sort of the lecture, cram, exam model that we, we have today. Is that accurate? Yeah. And can you expand on that? Maybe that, we can, that can segue into what you're doing with free learning. Um, one of the things that I think is so funny in Hebrew, when you want to ask someone if they're out of uh, like high school or college or if they're in the workforce, you ask them if they're done learning. <laughs> and I think this really exemplifies kind of the culture that we have around learning, where learning is a thing that you do when you're young and then you're done and then you get to deploy whatever you've learned for the rest of your life. That could be really interesting if we could flip it. So what if when you're young, you practice deploying kind of things that you're curious about and learning in, and you do projects and you build communities and you like, you put yourself in the center of knowledge. And then for the rest of your life, you continue to learn. You already have the tools uh, to be able to deploy what you're learning. Wow. And so what are you trying to achieve with, with uh, the free learning effort you've, you've started? This uh, past semester at NYU I was taking um, a math class. And the way that this class would work is the professor would like write a problem on the board and then he would do the problem. And then at the end of the problem, he would turn around to the class and he'd ask, does anyone have any questions? And every time everyone would kind of wait and someone would ask the same question, they would ask, is this going to be on the test? And it's like, and that was just such a shocking thing for me. I mean, NYU is a good school. Uh, it, if we talk about just like, uh, if you're going to deploy capital towards your learning, it's like pretty much at the high end. And so, and but this is the, the quality of education um, in the classrooms. And, and so it feels like we need kind of a flip, right? So the way that education works in a classroom today is first the teacher tells you all the answers. This is how you do problems. This is what this means. This is how this process works. And then they hope that maybe you'll have some questions to ask about it. 
But you can imagine a world in which that's flipped, right? You start with things that you're curious about or a question that you have or something that you want to accomplish. And then that allows you, propels you to, to go and, and learn and learn things, which is actually like, this is what you do as an adult, right? Like when you describe how you learn, you say like, there's this thing I want that I'm curious about and I just have to go and learn all the parts of it so I can understand the whole. And is it fair to say that the, that the model that you, that we see today and these are was properly set up for sort of the industrial age or, or how, how labor used to be and now in sort of the internet era or in an era, uh, era of increasing automation, uh, automation where creativity will reign supreme that, that it needs to flip to what you're talking about. Is that sort of the backdrop between why it was and why it needs to change? 100%. I think you've also explored with free learners movement is how do you make it popular? <laughs> how, do, how do you make people care about this? How do you make people you know, believe that they should care about this? What, what have you learned and, and what do you think about, about that? Like how, how do we actually change things or, or change people? Right. You know, one of the interesting tensions in um, working in venture capital, but being interested in education is that uh, culture change generally is slow, uh, but culture change in kind of like American tradition, right? Like a public school or going to university um, is like part of like, what like standard American tradition, what you see in Hollywood, and that is just going to change much slower. Like that could take generations. Um, and so one of the interesting tensions in being an inventor is a lot of the companies that we see are doing really amazing things. They may not be fit for venture because really what they should do is raise as little as they can, maybe even nothing, and uh, grow super, super slowly, um, like, and just slowly and steadily grow until they can uh, be a, like a, part of the, the bigger culture change, but they have to nudge it along for it to happen. You know, the other trap that we see in kind of companies that are trying to enable this like, new mode of learning is that um, learning is really, really like hard, right? So in, in education, there's kind of a spectrum between um, like on one side, there's fun, like a TED talk, like a TED talk, it's fun, but you don't really learn anything or you might learn a few things. I don't know. And then on the other side, it's like really, really hard, right? Like, like reading a textbook is just like really, really hard. Um, it's not fun. Like education companies should fall somewhere in the spectrum, but generally learning is hard. So they need to be hard. And, and then what companies see is, okay, so users start learning on their platforms, but then they get to something hard. And so what do they do? And so uh, this like big challenge that we see in these companies is they have a hard time with retention. Right. Okay. So, so Eric, let's say that you're, you're uh, like trying to learn something and you go on some like EDU company site and you're starting to learn it and you get to the hard part. So what are you going to do? Go on Twitter and argue with somebody. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> like some large amount of people are just going to drop and say like, okay, well, I tried. So let's say you don't want people to drop. Like how do you convince someone to get through the hard part and like keep learning? You make it social. Uh, you're on a team with somebody that there's, uh, you make it fun. You, you show them how good it will feel to get, go through it, all the people that have gone through it. What do you think? Yeah, you, sh you show them how great it will feel. So you can't just tell them, like, at the end of this really hard part of learning, there's going to be this great feeling of accomplishment. Like, you can't just tell someone that. Like, that's not how it works. You have to put them in a community in which uh, that behavior is modeled, right, where, where someone can see, like, others that, that are completing this. So one, one of the interesting tensions here is a lot of education companies, um, especially like that are trying to help people opt out of schooling and, and give them better platforms to do so, they have a hard time with retention. But if they add communities around those platforms, that, that could solve that problem. 
how do you compare the approaches that is somewhat opposite, right, between uh, Pioneer and then between what our, our very good uh, Ray Batra is, is doing uh, in Detroit, which one is, you know, the Pioneer approach is, you know, you know starts online and, and then there's some in person where and Ray's approaches sort of meet in person and learn things uh, online. How do you think about those approaches? So with 7 billion humans on the planet, right, we need like a diversity of options because people learn in different ways and people care about different things and people are wired differently. And like I, as like in my personal preference, might say like, hey, like I really care about face-to-face interaction. I want like an in-person learning community. But, you know, not everyone is like that, right? Like gamers some like have their really, really close community all online, all over Discord and whatever games they're playing. And so um, I think we need both. And Ray Batcher Startup for the listeners is, is Shift Up. Definitely check that out. Let's talk about college. I mean, you, we talked earlier about how, you know, homeschool is, is, is more popular early on, but then as people get to college because they sort of architect their whole lives around college, they, um, they sort of want to be more, quote unquote, normal. You know, Peter Thiel has, has called college the, uh, or university sort of the, a bubble, uh, similar to how church, uh, it compares to sort of Catholic church in terms of the you know sort of blind reverence we we have towards it, talk a little bit about how this uh, how this came to be and, and where we're at now with the university. The big pain point in education right now, like K through twelve, is basically flat. Like there's no real pain point. Like change will happen slowly. And the big pain point is around the economics of higher education. And I think that's just there are the same amount of universities uh, as there were you know fifty years ago, but more and more students want to go, and so. Um, like university revenues are just crazy outpacing enrollment. Like they're just not enough spots for the people who want to go. And so that becomes super, super expensive. Um, and student debt is obviously a crazy bad issue, but you know, like if K through 12 were better, you wouldn't need university in the first place. So like there are great programs around this, like Tel Aviv university has, um, what they call youth university and they bring in 13 to 18 year olds. Like they basically do high school there. And half their classes are, uh, just, you know, in their own age group and half are uh, with like just normal university classes and they graduate at 18 with a college degree. And that's kind of amazing. Right. So, A, the kids, I mean, uh, these students love it because they're part of something real. It's, it's less boring. They, they feel like ownership. But B, like it's this great equalizer where they graduate, they didn't pay, they are not in debt, but they have a degree. Peter G also comments how Harvard could, in theory, you know, quadruple its enrollment, but it won't. Uh, and then he calls, calls them a nightclub as a result. They're more focused on exclusivity than, than in- inclusion. What do you think about that? Right. Right. What they're selling is prestige, right? Um, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about kind of brands and the promises that brands make to their users. And so the promise that Harvard makes to its users is like you're part of this exclusive like stamp of approval more than they make the promise of you're going to learn a ton. <laughs> so like, you know, you know, in that extends through all of Harvard's programs, like why do people go to Harvard business school? They go to join the mafia, right? They don't go um, to, like to memorize uh, equations. So what do you think this unbundling of credentialing or prestige will look like? You know, we already see this today. Um, the career path that it can kind of opt out of college the most um, is engineering. And that's because in engineering, credentialing is already figured out outside of college, right? GitHub is credentialing for developers. And the other place where you kind of see people being able to opt out of college is designers, right? Because Behance and Dribbble have solved credentialing for designers. 
And, and so there's a question of like, well, what will solve credentialing for everyone else? So I really like David Perel's project. He teaches uh, people how to uh, utilize Twitter and blogging and just writing and help them credential themselves using existing uh, networks. And that feels like really innovative. Yeah. I want to get to your request for, for startups. But first, I want, I want to zoom out. And you, you were talking about how so little has changed in education. Uh, you know, EdTech has been such a dog in, you know, industry for, for VCs for a long time. So what has changed, though? Like, why does OutSchool exist now and does, didn't exist five years ago or, or Brilliant or, or some of these companies? Like, why is now the time? It's, it's a good question. A, a lot of these companies uh, depend on another thing being there. So, for example, OutSchool depends on really uh, high-fidelity video calling, and um, that's new, right? So, like, you couldn't have done that. But I also think that culture shifts over time. Pa- like, youngest parents today grew up uh, with Google and YouTube, um, and they're really shocked, I think, to see, um, like, the schools that they send their kids to are, are not the same. Say more about, before we get started, what your future kids' education will look like. Like, add things to what I didn't say. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, if I could design an education for myself, I would focus less on what happens during the education and more about who is, uh, like, surrounding, right? So you want, like, really, uh, like, creative, inspiring role models around you, whether they're, like, you know, quote-unquote teachers or if they're, like, fellow students. I think that's something that we don't talk about, but feels like something that's transformative. The other thing that I'd be excited about is this idea of go go do things um, rather than go study. That that feels really interesting to me. Yeah, it's sort of interesting why you know more companies don't get involved. I mean, I know there's some, some legit fears around that, but like educate. When I was you know in high school, it was just me and the teachers, but I never really interfaced with. I don't know, all the people working at companies or other, like, parts of society. It was, it was very, like, isolated and siloed. Like, right. why do we wait to, for our first internship when we're, like, 19 years old to learn about what people do in the working world? Yeah. You know, it's so funny. When we talk about all the things that we're excited about in education, we're really talking about all the old ideas that existed before this kind of industrial factory model of education. So we talk about homeschooling. Like, that's an old idea. Before uh, public schools, you had tutors at your house um, if you could afford it. Uh, we talk about, like, communities of learners and how they will um, help educate each other before, like, horse man invented grades that you step through by age. We had, like, one-room schoolhouses, right, where, like, kids would teach other kids. And, and then the other thing that we're talking about is, like, work early, learn forever. Um, and, and that's how apprenticeships work, right? Like, before universities, like, uh, UPenn was this crazy idea uh, that you were going to go to university to learn to be a doctor rather than an apprentice. Like, th- that's also the thing that we're excited about. So it's, like, all these old ideas of homeschooling and one-room schoolhouses and apprenticeships that, like, all of a sudden we're super excited about again. And, and so how does it play out? Basically, homeschooling will take off that'll you know, siphon people away from public school? Like, how do, you, how do you expect this to play out? I think change is slow, but, but everything does change or goes away, right? So I think public schools will change. And actually in traditional schooling, uh, we see really, really beautiful programs. Like, um, for example, in California, you can attend a charter school uh, online, which just means basically you get their curriculum. And the charter school gives you them some part of the amount of funding that they get from the government for you being a student there for you to use towards uh, your own education. So like uh, in California, and actually in a few states, like Alaska as well, you, you can get two to $3,000 as a homeschooling stipend from the government 
to go and educate yourself. So like there are really amazing things happening in the traditional world and that will just continue, continue to ramp up. And then in the like opt out non-traditional world, I think we're going to see more institutionalizing around communities and networks of students and learners. So part of it will be like people opening up their homes the way that people open up their homes on like Airbnb to, to create spaces for uh, learners in the, in the, in the neighborhood. Um, and then also part of that will be kind of online um, uh, for people who don't have access to an in-person. I think one of the, the thorniest questions that it's worth just bringing up around public education or around education period is, um, is equality. And, and the, the, the bad manifestation of this is everyone gets the, the same bad education that no, no child left, left behind. Um, but there are, you know, legit concerns over as, you know, it gets increasingly, you know, privatized in some sense or as it gets more popular, what that does to inequality. How do you think about that? So I think that's the core idea, right? Like we want to live in a world that, that is more equal, where everyone has access to like the tools to teach them how to be happy and how to be economically well off. So one part of this is economics, right? How do we make all of these interesting things that are going to be built like low cost or, or hopefully free? And I think uh, the model of stipend for students, if they're not going to learn in public school, just route those funds to the students themselves, choose their own adventure, feels very interesting. Another is, well, if, if your parents aren't home to like help you figure out how to educate yourself, right, like you need a community. And so these like community networks are like a big part of that. And then there's this other part that isn't actually economics. It's just kind of awareness. Like you need to be so privileged, you know, to, to like know that this is an option for you and, and to be in a, in a space where someone like offers you to, pr- to pursue this like alternative route of schooling. And um, I think this is about publicity and it's about telling stories. And it's about like putting this as part of the cultural norm. So uh, with the last few remaining minutes, why don't we talk about some of the ideas you're most excited about in your request for startups? For, for the entrepreneurs out there that are, are looking to, to innovate in this space? Sure. There is like two categories of products that I'm excited about. One is how do we get adults just keep learning and bring that into the culture? And so there are all sorts of things that I think would be really fun for someone to build. Like, like I want someone to build detective mysteries. It's like, it's, it's like TV. It's like Sherlock, but it ends before the detective, like, figures out the, the mystery and then people compete around the world to solve it. And you have to know things about how the world works to like figure out the mystery. Like you have to know that their math was wrong or that's not how physics work or like, if you know, chemistry and you just happen to know that like, like you, you have this like uh, big advantage in the competition. Like that, that seems like a really fun, like worldwide thing that everyone's working together, but it's around a culture of curiosity and learning. I also think that we can have all sorts of supportive infrastructure for adults who want to learn like, I'm so excited for someone to build kind of an online repository of syllabi. Like, here's how you learn. Here's the best way to learn any topic kind of that you might want to learn, but using um, resources that are already online, just kind of curated for you in the right way. That, that feels exciting. But there, there's also, like, I'm really excited about um, people building learning communities. Like, that, that feels like the more uh, innovative and transformative thing to do here. And actually, when, when I was excited about the syllabus and, and writing about it and talking to people who are building it, the thing that I totally missed and totally got wrong is you probably can't build this in a vacuum. It has to be surrounded by a community of learners that like bolster and, and help each other. But by that, do you mean it needs to be wikified or, or like a wiki syllabi? Or do you mean that no, uh, no, not the way it's produced, but the way it's consumed it needs to be community driven? Yeah, um, there are great learning communities. Um, like we've talked about Pioneer. It is a really good example. The Recurse Center is also a really great example. They're kind of, they call themselves an educational retreat. Uh, they're in New York. 
people come to the Recurve Center, they spend a few months, but everyone there is just learning. And they're all doing their own thing, but because they're all part of this community and they see each other, they, they help each other out. How do these things become big businesses? How, how do they become, like, how does the syllabi 2.0 or these learning communities be, become venture, venture scale opportunities? Okay, so I think that there are a lot of big businesses to be built here. I think that a lot of businesses here are not built for venture because culture change is so slow, right? So the goal here is slow and steady, not build really fast, scale really quickly. So, and, and that's actually one thing that I, I see often. I'll talk to companies that started by doing something super, super interesting um, in this space. Like they're trying to make learning joyful, but then there are only so many adults or like so many people who, who want to uh, like do this alternative learning thing. And so... Uh, they end up pivoting to selling to enterprise and they're like, we'll help you be a better product manager. And that feels really sad to me. So I think actually like we need, we need to have like cultural understanding that the businesses here are actually going to be super slow, but they're going to like grow slow and steady. Um, and they will be good businesses, just maybe not all for venture. Danny, I want to be respectful of your time. This has been a fantastic uh, survey and exploration into, into the education, uh, very aligned with the free learner movement. Thank you so much for, for coming to the podcast and for people who are eager to, to learn more about, about your work, where can you point them? That's not the more interesting thing. The more interesting thing is uh, for people to, to build learning communities. So if people want to spend time doing something, they should go and, and do that. Perfect. Uh, great call to arms. Uh, Danny, uh, thank you so much for coming on and I'll talk to you soon. Bye, Eric. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst. 